Hello and welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Schultz. We are getting into the final day of talking offense for this draft coming up next week for the Seahawks. And we are talking to EJ Snyder of Bootleg Football at the Draftsman FB. You can follow him out on Twitter. Also, tune in to the Bootleg Football Podcast. Check out their Patreon. You can get all kinds of bonus stuff there. EJ, you know, we've been talking draft for uh, a few days now, and we we have the tackles to get to. But, you know, I, I do want to hear, as far as Patreon and, and what people are getting, uh, what you're doing for some of those folks behind the scenes, what, what can they look for being a patron of bootleg football? Yeah, Patreon's new for us this year, so we're working on that. But people seem pretty happy with it. The first thing we tied to it that's obviously causing a lot of fuss this time of year is draft rankings. Um, typically, Brett's released his draft rankings in a different way. I have never released draft rankings. I've I've sent them to selected people to keep me honest. Uh, so I can't just say, oh, yeah, I had that guy high. But I have not put them out publicly before. So we're we're putting them out side by side with descriptions of, of you know, how we see that position group how we graded them, and then little blurbs about each player as well. And, and the response has been really good so far. So that's a the lowest level Patreon benefit for us, for patrons. Uh, we also have patron-only Q&As. Uh, we're releasing some of our draft interview content a couple of days early, so patrons get to see it about 48 hours before the general public does. And folks have, folks have responded beautifully to it. Uh, a lot of folks interested in the draft rankings, though. It's caused a big surge since we started uh, releasing draft rankings. People seem really thrilled by it. So it's it's been a lot of fun. A lot of work to put them together, but uh, the response has been great. Well, I am excited to talk about tackles because I don't know if you've noticed this looking at the Seahawks depth chart, AJ. Uh, we don't we don't have any tackles. I mean, we we have guys, but <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we can use of, a couple tackles. Is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Guys with starting experience and a lot of NFL reps know you do not have. Uh, you have guys with potential. We talked about Stone Forsyth a lot last year. He was one of Brett's favorites. Jake Curran, th- you know, he he got out I, there and he got some starting reps. And, you know, I came into this offseason saying, I don't want to start Jake Curran at right tackle. But if, if that's how it ended up, then OK, I guess that's what we're doing. Okay, I guess that's what we're doing. Well, there are a lot of options in the draft if the Seahawks decide that's not what they're doing. So that's pretty good. And. If you're talking about guys up high, I I think the preeminent trio up high is Ike McQuanu from North Carolina State, Evan Neal from Alabama, and Charles Cross from Mississippi State. Those, for me, are the top three. They're all going to go in the first round, probably all in the first half of the first round. Cross might slide out of that, but I really don't think that he will. All of them have different strengths and weaknesses. All of them, I think, are going to be very good starting tackles in the NFL. Just outside of that, the next guy is fascinating to me because played at Central Michigan. Uh, when the pandemic started, he was a tight end. <laughs> um, so he's grown a lot as a foreign exchange. That's an student. interesting move to make from going from tight end to tackle. There are a lot of tackles in the NFL that basically started at tight end and got real big and, and they had great feet. They could move, and so their offensive line coach said, hey, you want to keep eating? And they said, yep, and they bulked up and, and moved to tackle. It's not an unheard of move. But the idea that somebody did that during the pandemic, having never played tackle before and is already this good, is a bit staggering. So Bernard Ryman from Central Michigan 
is a fascinating study. You can actually watch him get better during games because he's so young in the position. He's still learning, right, on the field. People are still doing things to him that he hasn't seen before. And he counters them very quickly. His athletic scores were tremendous. You're talking about a ceiling guy. Like, he's already pretty darn good. He's learning incredibly quickly during a difficult time with proper coaching and a little bit of time in the NFL. He could he could honestly be the best of the group, and the three guys above him are excellent. Well, I feel like we glossed over the, your top three guys pretty quickly. And the Seahawks, they do have the ninth overall pick. Indeed. I, I, I do want to focus on... well. I looked at Mel Kuyper's recent mock draft, EJ, Mm -hmm. and he had Evan Neal going to the Seahawks at number nine. Is that a possibility? Could he totally fall to number nine? He could. Again, it depends on how you have them ranked. Some people are in love with Kwanu's run blocking, mean streak, and overall athletic profile, and they might have him first. Other folks are going to look at Evan Neal and see how polished he is, how smooth he is, which you would expect from the starting left tackle from Alabama, that he's probably a pretty darn good player. Uh, And he is. Uh, There are some concerns about his run blocking. I think they're overblown when he run blocks correctly, which he does sometimes. People absolutely move. He's a very gifted physical athlete. He's not a guy that has small frame or short arms or bad feet. He has good everything. And I, I think he does all that stuff pretty well. So it just depends on what teams really like. And then crosses, um, a physical specimen, not necessarily in that he is the tallest, but he has extremely long arms and he's just, uh, he's just rocked up. He is incredibly built um, and still a very young player. So again, people are looking at that ceiling and saying, man, he's already this, you know, he's got these really long arms for his overall height. What could we do with this guy? Um, him already being this good and young, we've got some room to grow. So teams could slot them in any of the three orders. In fact, I have them in that order. Uh, Brett has them in a different order, but same guys. So it, it really depends on team. You know, could could both uh, Equanu and Cross be off the board by nine and then Neil's sitting there? It, it's possible. Certainly stranger things have happened. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against it, certainly. Well, one guy who I feel like isn't too far out of that group is Rashid Walker, who he was one of the guys that the Seahawks brought in for a top 30 visit. I For the guys, I, I try and pay attention because the Seahawks always pick at least one or two guys that they bring in for the top 30 visit. So I want to make sure, well, and with him being, you know, probably, I don't know, do you have him in your top five, probably? Uh, he's close for me. He's okay. just outside the top five, but I like Rashid Walker a lot. I need to make that very clear. He is one of the middle range tackles that I think could be a starter pretty quickly and a good one. Um, all you need to do is watch his game against Michigan. Michigan has two edge, well, two edge rushers that would have gone in the top 15. Unfortunately, David Ajabo tore his Achilles, so he's probably going to go lower. But from a talent standpoint, uh, Hutchinson could very well go number one overall. And Ajabo was was pretty much a top 15 lock before his injury. Both of those guys went against uh, Penn State when Penn State played Michigan. Rasheed Walker there. And they swap them. So he got to play against both of them a bunch during the day. And yeah, he had his reps that he lost, but you would expect that against two top 15 addresses. But he had plenty of reps in there where he held his own and stuffed those guys. And that's enough to make you sort of stand up and go, oh, and, you know, again, some things to work on, but a very good frame, good athlete, and has some good reps on tape against the top players in this draft. He's a guy worth betting on a little farther down the board. I wouldn't do it at nine, but 
Uh, well, you know, I mean, the Seahawks, yeah. they got 40, they got 41. You know, yeah, he'll be there in that range for sure. In fact, Ryman might still be there in that range. I don't know that he will be. Um, but where do they go after that? What's the next Hawks pick after the 40s? Do they have? Well, see, they're probably going to end up picking up another pick in the top 50 when they trade back out of number nine. So we, we do have to take that into account, too. Yeah. So if you're talking about being at 70 or 80, uh, you know, somewhere in that range, you pick up a pick there. Like that's prime Rashid Walker territory, and I would not be at all upset if he ended up. Seventy-two is their uh, is their next official. Walk. He'll he'll likely be there at seventy-two either <laughs> way. Um, may not again. Never can tell how teams have him ranked, but overall, in terms of like average draft position at amalgamated sites, like he's he's not in the seventies. But I would be fully comfortable picking him there because I think he is one of the better mid-tier tackles in this draft that could grow into a starter very very quickly where do you have trevor penning going mm, trevor penning's a guard for me yeah, a lot of people have him at tackle i worry deeply he's a great athlete but i i worry deeply is about about his ability to handle speed and on the outside you absolutely have to have that and if if you need any sort of verification of that watch trevor penning against a speed rusher and he's one of those guys that takes a kick step and then bails mm. Opens his hips immediately because he knows he has to, even with his athleticism, a lot of that's what I would call linear athleticism. And that's great for a guard, right? Fast in a straight line, explosive going forward. He's a crazy athlete, but he struggles with outside speed. And if he's not able to counter that in another way, if a tackle opens that quickly for people that don't know things about offensive line play, he opens himself to counter moves. He's off his base. Right. He can be moved much more easily. He got rolled at the senior bowl a couple times doing that. Really quick speed rushers would push him deep. And as soon as he opened, we call that the soft outside shoulder. As soon as he opened his frame to try and keep up with them, they just pushed and he basically fell over. Um, so for me, he's a guard and I think he will be an excellent guard. He actually reminds me of Richie Incognito a lot, like not only in demeanor, but Richie Incognito was a you know, on the field, a very good guard, able to move people. And if you put Penning at guard, I think he crushes people immediately because he is such a good athlete. And you've, again, reduced that liability for outside speed. So you see Penning as a guard. I do wonder, though, if the Seahawks would potentially see him as a tackle. I've seen him projected at tackle for the Seahawks. So that's going to be something to watch on draft day, wherever Penning ends up going. We've hit on some of the top guys. Who else might be in EJ's top 50? We'll talk about it coming up next. All right, EJ. Well, with that idea that the Seahawks have those first three picks, they don't have any tackles. Who, who are some of the other guys we should be talking about that go in the top 50 that will play tackle? Ooh, top 50. Again, you probably go back to Ryman. If you're talking about top 50, it's Aquanu, Neil, Cross, Ryman, maybe Daniel Falele um, from Minnesota, who is a massive human being, like 6'8", 370, uh, moves better than any human being that big uh, should, uh, but has work to do yet. I mean, that's why he's probably going to go. But if you're really talking about top 50, probably drops off after that to other players who are going to be outside the top 50 those five and again some people have tyler smith as a tackle some people have penning as a tackle so between those five to seven players that's that's top 50 after that you're talking about players between 50 and 100 and i think there are some good ones 
including local product, right? Washington State, Abraham Lucas is probably going to go in that 50 to 100 range. Um, guy from Arizona State, Kellen Deach is going to go in that range. Max Mitchell from Louisiana, who we talked about um, ambidextrous guards and tackles earlier. Right. Max Mitchell has, in my opinion, one of the most impressive feats in college football last year. He was at Texas. So first, Louisiana is not going to be favored over Texas. It was an early season game. It was well over 100 degrees on the field. I was watching tape. He started off a right tackle, played the whole first half at right tackle. They open up in the second half, and I'm like, what, did they bench him? No, he moved to left tackle. Like, I'm not sure <laughs> if the guy like got sick or got hurt or whatever. He moved to left tackle, and you couldn't tell. That's, That's crazy. ridiculous against uh, a, you know, a top-tier college program like Texas. And then he moved back to right tackle. Like, I don't know if the guy got taped up and came back, but he literally played right tackle for a half, left tackle for about a quarter, and then finished out the game again, well over 100 degrees at right and looked comfortable doing both all day long against a power five program. Like really, really impressive. So I think Max Mitchell's got a ton of potential, but he's, he's going to go farther down um, just right at 300 pounds. So he's going to need to bulk up a little bit, but great feet, good movement skills. And boy, that flexibility, you could bet on the fact that NFL evaluators all saw that and went, Oh, okay. If that guy's going to be our swing tackle, like that's an ideal candidate. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, yeah. With the fact that the Seahawks don't have a starting left or right tackle, that that would be that would be appealing. <laughs> Just have that guy play both. Clone him. <laughs> right. Sure. Half <laughs> half and half. No problem. Well, you brought up Falele's name and I, I don't want to I want to spend more time talking about him because one, I think we could use another Aussie on the team. That's that's always cool. And I was looking at Pro Football Focus's draft guide. And whenever I see they, I always look at shades of because I want to I want to know sure. what kind of player that they're comp to. And they have I don't know if there's any other guy like this in their draft guy. It says shades of hasn't existed. He is a physical specimen that is, I'm going to say, difficult, maybe impossible in the NFL world to to replicate. You're talking about a guy six, eight. So we're really talking about like. You know, in the NBA, a guy 6'8 is either a three or a four, right? Small forward right. or power forward and weighs like 380. Like, you know, that is a very large human being. And you would say, oh, he's got to be a Hulk, right? He's got to be super slow, heavy footed. Uh, nope. He's athletic at that size. And honestly, this is one of the most confusing things because he is he's not new to football, but new er to football. People say he's soft, right? That he doesn't hold up against power. And you're like, wait, he's this huge hulking <laughs> guy. And he, you know, he dances around out there. People always say dancing bear about like a tackle. He looks like a dancing bear. He moves better than anybody 380 and 6'8 should. So when they say we really don't have a physical comp for him because it might not exist. They're not exaggerating. He is something else. When you see him next to really anybody, because you look at a lot of these other tackles, the top tackles we talked about, I think Cross is only 6'3". So like he's one of the top tackles for sure. He's a better football player than Daniel Falele. But if they stand back to back, Falele is like almost a full head taller than Charles Cross. And Charles Cross is a big dude. So there really aren't too many matches for him physically. And if he gets with an offensive line coach that understands what he is and what he isn't and molds him, what are you going to do to get around that guy? He's 6'8". He's got 36-inch arms or something. Like 
even if he stands still, the time it takes to run all the way around his reach is a pretty big circle. And he can move. Talking about how big he is reminded me of some of the photos that I saw out on Twitter recently that were cracking me up. And it was NFL. And I think it was mostly wide receivers, but it was NFL players standing next to basketball players. Yeah. <laughs> the one that killed me, I saw a similar one. Might might have been the same one. Was... Because I think I saw uh, DK standing next to Kareem and yeah, he was and he looks d- dwarfed by him. Yeah. The one that got me because of, again, kind of what people think of their profiles was Miles Garrett and Steph. Oh. And they are equals. Wow. Yeah. Steph is the same height as Miles Garrett, like straight up. And you're like, Steph's a shooter. He must be smaller. And Miles Garrett's a defensive end. He's a monster. Yeah. They are the same. (laughs) And then you realize, whoa, NBA players are giants. Like if you've ever been to an NBA game in person, yeah, if you get down courtside, you're like, man, the shooting guard is like six, seven, you know, and you realize they're huge. But when you think about Garrett, just because Garrett is a physical specimen, I mean, he's the same size as Steph. And you're like, I think of Steph as a smaller, faster guy, and Garrett as a bigger, faster guy, same size. Yeah, Falele, 6'8", 380, and that's, yeah, there's not too many dudes that are bigger than that. Not in the NFL. Um, Again, some other sports, yes, but to see a guy that big who can move, the potential is there, and somebody's going to gamble on it because you just can't replicate that. There's not another one to find. I feel like Stone Forsyth was one of those guys last year who was projected kind of early and then ended up dropping way down. Are, are there yeah. any? Uh, <laughs> I, I know that's kind of hard to here. project, but no, the, I mean, yeah, I understand the question. I had him much lower. Uh, Brett had him up high. He was like tackle four or something for Brett. And again, some team could have pulled the trigger. I wasn't particularly surprised when he slid a little bit. I thought he was a good value for the Seahawks. There are guys especially have to get past about the third round where again valuation is going to be wild because you have some teams want pure athletes like just give me the best possible athlete and i'll mold them and other people are like i don't really care about their athletic scores can they x can they run block can they you know set in can they snap can they do whatever um so you start to see real breaks in teams boards where somebody has them as a fourth rounder and somebody has them as a seventh rounder so um but there are some really crazy athletes down low uh matt will from north dakota not north dakota state is like a top seven athlete at tackle since 1987 ridiculous and he has huge arms i think he has 38 inch arms like he has the longest arms out there it's like 98th percentile and then you got guys that are a little more what i'll call traditional and this one's strangely enough from north dakota state somebody we saw at the shrine bowl cordell volson and he played tackle for the thundering herd at north dakota state people are projecting as a guard he's not super flashy he to me feels like one of those guys they usually come from like michigan they're usually like the fourth offensive lineman on michigan get drafted with no fanfare sixth round come in play like eight years super solid uh to me that guy is cordell volson this year like he's gonna come in he's gonna be a pro 
He's going to plug in. He's going to, you know, again, go where you need him to go. Is it tackle? Is it guard? Is it right? Is it left? It doesn't really seem to matter. And people are going to say, where did he come from? Oh, North Dakota State. It's going to be one of those guys getting introduced on Monday Night Football. And you're like, oh, yeah, North Dakota State. Um, yeah. So, well, that, you know, so there, those there's those types of guys that can fall. But there's also the guys like Orlando Brown, who were really good in college, but then they tested terribly and up falling to the third round where he was, he was being talked about as a potential top 10 pick. For sure. And again, it's what teams see, like, do you care how he wins or do you care about his measurables? And with Orlando Brown, he won in a different way. Like if you watch tape, not many people beat him because again, it's tall, strong, not super fleet of foot, but he could reach his arm out and stop a guy with one hand. It's not traditional, but it works. And it was like, do you believe in the works or do you believe in the measurable piece? And, and different teams have different answers about that. Who's a guy at the top that I think could slide a little bit? Well, one of the guys that you see some very high projections and some maybe down to the top of the fourth, bottom of the fourth projections is uh, Nicholas Petit Frere from Ohio State. He's their left tackle, and you would figure, hey, left tackle at Ohio State. Ohio State, yeah. It's like the left tackle at Alabama. He's very high profile. He's a good athlete. He's he's not one of those guys that tested poorly. Um, but people are all over about his sort of potential pro projection. Everybody still sees him at tackle. I haven't seen a lot of people saying he should move to guard, but I've seen him like as tackle four on people's lists, which would be, you know, tickling the end of the first round, very top of the second round. And I've seen people have like a mid fourth round grade on him. Yeah, and people like has that. them as as their 11th and a fourth round grade on it so you're seeing like from the fourth to like the 11th which is a big swing again fairly early usually there's a little bit more agreement in the first five or six and then it starts to vary as you get into the lower rounds he's one of those guys that i've seen some people say no he's technically proficient he's athletically good he played in a big conference got experience like we're picking him we feel really safe about him we're picking him at like the fifth overall tackle um and i've seen other folks where it's like, ah, if he's still there in the mid fours, like we'd take a swing. And that's a very different valuation from a draft, you know, draft capital perspective. Um, so he's one of the more, uh, I guess you could say, divisive guys in this class where, you know, it's kind of a litmus test question for me. Where do you have him? Right here, here. Why? You know, why is he, why is he that low? Why is he that high? Yeah. Is it just um, because of competition of, of what he was going up against and in, in certain types of I, matchups? I don't know. Some people really believe, again, some of its potential and mm -hmm. ceiling. Some people are like, I think he's as posh as he's going to get. He's, you know, got issues and I don't like those issues. Other people are like, we can fix them, right? It's no different than quarterbacks with big arms. Some teams are like, I don't care if he has a big arm. Is he accurate? Other teams are like, if he can throw the ball 75 yards in the air, we can fix it, right? So it just depends on how teams view that. Some people view him as a pretty finished product that doesn't have a lot of room to grow. Some people say, look, he's a great athlete. Give him to me. I'll make him into a, you know, top whatever tackle. So he's a real, uh, I, I won't be surprised if he goes in the early second. I won't be surprised if he goes in the late fourth, like, because he's just all over the board. But a potential good value pick if you're getting him in the fourth. Absolutely. I, I think that no matter what, like at that point, kind of all bets are off. If that guy is still on the board in the fourth and you're looking again at the commensurate level of players that are around him that are left, like, yeah, I would I would run to the podium at that point. I don't think he'll be there then, but you know, 
could go high, could go two rounds lower, and I, I wouldn't blink at all because he's just one of those guys that's been all over the board. He's EJ Snyder of Bootleg Football. EJ, that does it for every position group that we've looked at on offense. Really want to thank you for doing this series. And I, you know what? I'm looking forward to doing defense next. Yeah, we'll give you a break and some sleep and some water, maybe an aspirin, and then we'll bring you back and do it all again. Well, that's going to do it for this show. Thanks again to EJ Snyder of Bootleg Football for coming on and breaking down all of the offensive position groups. We are going to try and flip over to the defensive side next week. EJ did have a conflict, so when we recorded that last time, we were planning on defense. I don't yet know when we're going to get that started, but as soon as it happens, it's going to be right here in your podcast feed. So look for that. I will also have a recap from Wilson Kahn for the Seahawks pre-draft press conference. Look for that this weekend in your podcast feed. So be sure you are subscribed to the show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. And if you're looking for more to listen to after you get done with this, we do have a new episode of the Seahawkers podcast, seahawkerspodcast.com. Adam and I are talking about the, the positions that we would be upset if the Seahawks were to draft in their first three and maybe even four picks. So check that out, seahawkerspodcast.com. We also talk a little bit about the Geno Smith contract as well. I will be back, like I said, talking about the pre-draft press conference with Pete Carroll and John Schneider. And until then, go Hawks. <laughs>